Hello and welcome to this episode of American Scientist podcast series. I'm Fenella Saunders, managing editor of the magazine. Right now, if one of your body parts fails, the only option for replacement is a transplant. Enter regenerative medicine, a fledgling field with the aim of regrowing parts from a person's own cells. Researchers in that field are now amplifying their efforts with 3D printing technology, which can now use organic materials to create the scaffolds that cells need to grow into their final forms. Richard Wisk, a professor of industrial and systems engineering at North Carolina State University, discusses the latest successes with this research and the timeline for creating more complicated structures. Regenerative medicine has a focus at making replacement body parts. If we lost a finger, hopefully we might be able to create a second finger and reuse it. If your kidney is failing, we would be hopefully in the future able to create a spare kidney for you that could be implanted. The good news about that is people that have implanted organs, one of the things that they suffer through is they have to have the rejection medicine and that is a lifetime dependency. So as they are dependent on this rejection medicine, if you make things from your own cells and using your own DNA, you have organs, you have tissues, and you have the same constructs for the future of your life. The organs and the tissue that you want to look at for starting any of these processes are the simplest of all of these organs. A bladder is simply a vessel that holds fluids. It doesn't really have any other high-level functions. It just holds fluids. One of the things that you can do with a bladder is you can create a two-dimensional fabric made up of bladder material. You can then cut and fold that bladder material much like you would any garment so that now it would take the shape of what a human bladder would be and do. You could make it of the appropriate volume for maybe an infant, young adult, or maybe a senior citizen based on the patient that it's going to be used for. So it's a simple kind of function. Your ear in terms of Using an ear is, again, early entry into regenerative medicine. The structure of your ear really has no function other than the geometry of the ear. So it is something that creates aesthetic value to us, and it amplifies or directs some of the sound so that we can hear it. But it's, again, very simple. It's made up of chondrocytes that become cartilage, and that cartilage simply forms and functions is primarily a normal geometry to make our facial features look more natural. If you're going to create body parts, we're looking to try to create a liver. A liver has a standard geometry as well as a standard set of tissue, cells, clustering of various biological components. If you wanted to create a liver, the first thing that you'd want to do is come up with what the diseased liver currently looks like so you would have the right spatial character for it. The key to all of regenerative medicine is your cells. So as we're looking at regenerative medicine and trying to create uh, items that are important, the basis of regenerative medicine is cells. The early 
regenerative medicine therapies use cells and they're injected into the body with the hope that these new progenitor components will quickly uh, manifest themselves to repair whatever malady it is that you have. That is not always the case. If we're thinking about trying to create things that look like skin, one of the things that we'd like to use the skin for is a impregnator for pathogens. We don't want any of the pathogens that are in our environment to enter the inner portions of our body. The skin we would want to grow and then implant as quickly as possible. So what we'd like to do is have two different cell types, cell types that are adherent and cell types that are non-adherent. With the adherent cell types, we'd like to create scaffolds or structures that inhibit their mobility so that they can change the way they behave. Instead of behaving like a cell, they would start behaving like a broader organism, a tissue, or an organ. Scaffolds need to provide a place for adherence for the cells. They need to also have a physical mechanical ability so that they don't break, they don't uh, fall apart while they're still forming into tissue. But they need to be, in many cases, elastic enough so that you can twist them, you can bend them, and do mechanical straining so that the tissue and the cells will be strained and induced into continued growth. A number of ways are being used to create the scaffolds that holds the cells in place. Uh, some of it is called decellularization, so you would take a cadaver and you would try to create mechanical structures that would look like a heart, look like uh, a liver, or whatever other organ you would be looking to have. One of the things that you would do with that is decellularize it. Wash it in a detergent, continue to wash it in a detergent until there's no more structure to it. That's a long, arduous process, and it doesn't always end in success. 3D printing is one of the few manufacturing processes that is unlimited in terms of the geometry that it can create. We're trying to use 3D printers to print uh, synthetic materials, bioresorbable, bioabsorbable polymers, so that you can take the cells, inhibit their mobility within these 3D printed structures, and then put them in a bioreactor so that they become a tissue or an organ, and then you can implant that entire organ or tissue into the human. 3D printers are what are called additive processes. We're all familiar with what a printer does. It forms images which look like two-dimensional images on a piece of paper. Well, the two-dimensional images on the piece of paper are actually three-dimensional. They have some thickness. The way 3D printing works is you create two-dimensional structures layer by layer by layer. So you will print a two-dimensional structure and then print a, another two-dimensional structure on top of it and so forth until you have a full 3D patterning of whatever kind of geometry you want. Hopefully, the printer could use the proper material. So it could be done in plastic, in metals, and now we can even print 
biologics using the same methodology. The way one obtains that image is using standard techniques in medicine, meaning we would begin by using a CT or scan or an MRI. Both CT scans and MRIs are sliced images, so they're a layer by layer by layer compartmentalization of what the person is trying to see inside the body. You take a slice of the MRI or CT, you put it against the next one and the next one and the next one, and you end up with a three-dimensional structure. That three-dimensional structure can be turned into a three-dimensional solid model, and that three-dimensional solid model can be used to create other components, meaning that we can manufacture it the regenerative system is going to have lots of interesting components to it. All manufacturing systems start by understanding the basic process. As a young adult, I learned about woodworking, and the basic manufacturing process for woodworking is sawing and planing. So when we're learning about sawing and planing, we learn that the process has certain parameters to it. You need certain styles of tools, certain geometries, in order to get the characteristics out of the process that you'd like. Well, regenerative medicine really doesn't have a lot of that. We're trying to look at how we develop and how we evolve. That becomes the basic model for trying to look at how we might want to create skin tissue or a kidney, so the organ would have a certain geometry to it, but it's also got a lot of different cell types. It has vascularization. The cells have got to be fed blood and nutrients, so it becomes a very, very complex system. We're trying to create the very fundamental processes associated with making things, and then create advanced systems that are biologic. They also have some synthetic components to it, which might give the organ, might give the tissue strength to survive while it's forming in the bioreactor. And then finally, we have a mature product that can be transplanted back into the person that needs whatever mitigating organ or tissue that we're making. We're right at the infancy of looking at it. Part of what we're looking at is, does it retain the cells as we would like to retain them so that they co-adhere to their neighbors? And can they survive? Early studies are looking at survival but one of the things that you need to do with many of the tissue and many of the organ components is you also need to mechanically strain them to enhance the growth and enhance the character of the tissue and the cell and the organs that are being grown. We will be creating and using regenerative components, cell therapies. Those are right around the corner. And in fact, we are using some cell therapies right now. The more complex the organ, the longer the window is until we're going to come up with a realization for it. My guess for a complex organ like a heart would probably be in 25 years, maybe a little bit shorter, maybe a little bit longer than that. 
This podcast was recorded and edited by American Scientist web managing editor Katie Lee Corder. American Scientist is published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. Funding for this talk came from the North Carolina Biotechnology Center and the RTP chapter of Sigma Xi. Thanks for listening.